Well, hello everyone. It is great to be together. For those of you that uh, don't know me, my name is Garth. I'm one of the leaders here at uh, Common Ground Church, and it is great to be together as we open God's Word together this evening. And uh, and happy Father's Day to all those fathers out there. It's my very first Father's Day, so I have been just soaking it all up and enjoying every moment of it. And uh, it's great to be back in the Book of Mark. What I love about the Book of Mark Mark is that it's often described of, as the book on the go, the book on the go. And it's like we get these fast moving snapshots of Jesus' life and his ministry. And I'm sure you've experienced some of that as we've gone through the book of Mark together. And uh, in fact, every time I come to a Sunday, I'm thinking, what is Jesus going to do now? What is he going to say now? And in the, in the last two weeks, we've seen just that. We've seen Jesus using a pretty graphic uh, metaphor as he calls us to get serious about sin, as he calls us to choose life over death. And uh, last week, we saw Jesus approached by the Pharisees and they try and uh, trick him into contradicting himself around marriage and divorce. And, uh, and Jesus rebukes them by, by answering so wisely and, and he reveals the, the hardness of the Pharisee's heart. And he also brings clarity to the truth about his heart around marriage and divorce. And, and this week we found ourselves in yet another interaction. And this time it's between uh, Jesus and a rich young ruler. And uh, what we're gonna see Jesus do, and, and excuse the pun, we're gonna see some divine cross examination, some divine cross examination. And, and why I say that is because cross, cross examination, when it comes to a court case, cross examination is basically the form of questioning that allows us to test the consistency of someone's truth and someone's credibility. And that's what Jesus does through his questions to this young man. He sifts through his actions and his words to get to uh, his heart. And so uh, let's dive into the text together. We're reading from Mark 10, uh, from verse 17 to 31. If you have your Bibles at home, maybe you want to open up and you want to read uh, with us. Let me read. It says, And as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked to them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. 
And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children's or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray as we open your word today that um, you would be with us, that you would speak to us, uh, that you would inform the condition of our hearts today, Lord. Uh, we really want to be changed by you. We really want to hear from you. So we invite your presence into this moment. We pray that you would speak to us. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So now it's important to know that this rich young ruler wouldn't be perceived as a, as a wicked or arrogant ruler. This man would have been seen as a, as a wealthy, upstanding Jewish man within the community, a, a man that, that played by the rules and uh, probably would have been praised for having it all together. Uh, I think of in our day and age, probably someone that... Um, that did well at school, maybe uh, even a prefect, uh, worked hard, managed to educate himself well, uh, worked his way into a good job. He, he managed his money well. He managed to, to buy a house or a farm and then still was, managed to invest in more land uh, or more properties. And uh, he was just basically a guy that would definitely be savvy at investing. You know, the type of person that bought Bitcoin at the right time, uh, he might even sit on a couple of committees and uh, he's being well respected in the community, probably, probably gives to charities, involved in charities. I hope I'm, I'm painting a bit of a picture of the way that this man would have been perceived in society. And uh, to sum it all up, the way that I describe it is that he was someone that within the opportunities that he had, he had been good at planning life and life was going according to plan. He was good at planning life and life was going according to plan. And so this man's not running after Jesus needing to be healed. He's not asking for more possessions or, or prosperity, but it's evident that he knows that within his grand plan of life, there's something that is missing. There's something that's missing. And, and we see Jesus expose this in this cross-examination. So let's, let's look at uh, this divine cross-examination. So from verse 17, we see, it says, and he was setting out on his journey, and this man ran up to him, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And there's two things that we, we got to note here. The first is that there actually is this humble acknowledgement from this man that Jesus is who he says he is. That's why he would kneel before him and call him good teacher. So there's a, there's a humble acknowledgement. But also what we see is this first question that Jesus would pose to him in cross-examination. He says, why do you call me good teacher? Is not God alone Good. And, and what Jesus is putting to him, basically, he's saying, man, either I am God in your definition of good or your definition of good is a little bit warped or maybe a little bit too broad. 
And then we see Jesus go on to say, he says, well, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And this rich young ruler says, teacher, I've kept all of these since my youth. And now what Jesus is saying in this moment, when he rattles off these commandments, uh, what he's saying is it's, it's, not a, it's not a statement of truth. What he's doing is he's asking this leading question to test the truth of this young man. And he's almost saying to him, you know the, the law? You know the law? Surely this will suffice. And he responds, yes, I've done all these things. And then what we see is Jesus compassionately puts a bit of a contradictory truth to the man. Knowingly, he gets to the, the heart of it when he says, it says that Jesus looked at him, he loved him, said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And disheartened by this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And here we see the truth of this man's heart exposed. And there's, there's a few things that God's pressing on here. And if, if I could summarize the problem, if I could summarize the clash, it would be this, that this young ruler is trying to find the best way to involve Jesus in his earthly plan, which revolves mainly around wealth, instead of conforming his heart and therefore his earthly plans with the truth of who Jesus is and his ways. That's where the clash is. And this is made evident through this cross-examination. We see a couple of clashes between his earthly plans and the ways of Jesus. And uh, I just want to mention a few of these. The first thing we see is this rich young ruler's earthly plans are measured by the law and kind of external perception, whereas the, the, the ways of Jesus measures the heart. Jesus measures the heart. And uh, as Jesus rattles off some of these commandments, this man is so quick to confirm that he's done all the right things. He's complied. He's lived up to the law. In other words, what he's saying, he says, Jesus, I'm, I'm a good person. I can get you reference letters if you want. And uh, there's some of these commandments that uh, he would rattle off, but some of these commandments and part of the, the law and maybe purposefully that God doesn't mention. And it's like we see in Deuteronomy 6 where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And how about the first of the Ten Commandments that says, you'll have no other gods before me. And when we see this, when we hear this, had he mentioned those, we'd know this guy just doesn't cut it. He's missed the mark too. He obviously has this idolatry problem with wealth. What God is exposing here is he's saying that one of the, one of the primary, primary problems really is that you can't admit that you're not good. You can't admit that you're not good. When compared to the righteousness of God, you fall short. And, and although externally you might seem that you have it all together, you don't realize that your heart is actually corrupt. And you won't admit it when it comes to your heart. You see, no one's heart is perfect before a perfect, righteous God. And I, I don't doubt that he actually sees Jesus as a good teacher. And he would probably confirm what most Christians would say about Jesus. In fact, we see he's drawn to Jesus. But what we realize 
is that following Jesus means that we need repentance. And, and this man has a repentance problem. This man has a repentance problem. And, and repentance is realizing at a heart level that you've missed the mark. That it's turning away from your sin. It's turning away from your sinful self. It's turning towards Jesus. And this rich young ruler does not want to give up his riches and he won't admit that he's missing the mark. That there's this idolatry happening in his, in his life and in his heart. He doesn't want to hear that the life that he's built up with self-righteousness and riches doesn't carry currency in the kingdom of God. He doesn't want to hear it. He cannot accept that Jesus wouldn't fit in with his plan and his wealth-building worldview, and he just can't accept it. Which brings us to the next thing that Jesus exposes. It says, the rich young ruler's earthly plans says do more with the way the ways of Jesus says done. The ways of Jesus says done. And Jesus challenged his whole way of thinking, the whole way that he views the world. You see, he's been raised to do things right and morally right. It's not a bad thing, but his view on life and the game plan is that if I act righteously and if I'm upstanding and if I obtain wealth, well, then I win at the game of life and God and, and people will be pleased with me. I'll be awarded some sort of medal or trophy of life. And maybe, maybe even God would owe me something for outdoing my peers or maybe even obtaining all of this could complete me. Once I get there, I'll reach this sense of contentment, this sense of true happiness. But this young man, after achieving all of this, has realized, man, there's still something missing. There's still something missing. In fact, what's happening here is he doesn't want Jesus to be his savior. He, but he wants Jesus to show him how he can be his own savior. He wants Jesus to show him how he can be his own savior. And this is what we call the self-righteousness dilemma. The self-righteousness dilemma. And Jesus turns his world upside down by saying, you've got, to, you've got to realize that eternal life is not obtained through what you have done. It cannot be bought with money or righteous acts. It can only be obtained through humble acceptance that someone else has paid the price on your behalf. And that's me. That's Jesus. It's not about successful doing. It's about humble acceptance. And he'll not humbly accept Jesus over his possessions, over his plans in life. Which brings us to another thing that God's exposed is that this rich young ruler's earthly plans is that he wants, he wants Jesus to be kind of added to his life. It's something of fractional faith, whereas Jesus requires him to be all in. Jesus requires him to be all in. When Jesus tells him to sell his possessions, like he goes straight for the jugular. He, he knows the most tainted part of his heart. And like a surgeon with a knife, he goes straight for it. But notice how it says, it says, looking at him, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. And Jesus sees a man who's, who's built up this life on moral good and riches, but yet left empty. He's, he's left discontent. He's left... Uh, spiritually poor with, the, with this corrupt heart of his. And uh, he has this heart that's convinced him 
that doing good and having riches is going to save him. It's almost like his desires for riches and achievement have, have, uh, have turned on him, have had its way with him. And so he so lovingly, Jesus points out, man, this thing, this thing's going to destroy you spiritually. This, this love of your possessions, this thing that you've made the treasure of your heart, man, it's going to destroy you. And so when we look at this, what Jesus, what Jesus is not saying is he's not saying that everyone that sells their possessions will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying that that's the golden key. What he's really getting at is he's saying that, you know, you've made this your highest treasure, higher than me. And you've got to root this out. You've got to, you've got to deal with this. You're going to make this sacrifice so that your heart recognizes me as your greatest treasure. And for all of us, it's not just with, with money, but whatever we might think that will give us a life of joy apart from God or more than God, God would lovingly say to us, man, this is going to, this is going to destroy you spiritually. And this is the moment where Jesus would say, it would be unloving for me to say that you could have your cake and eat it. I don't want you to have many gods or other gods or, or side hustle gods. I don't want you to have that. I want you all in. A complete Jesus update on your entire operating system. I don't want to just be part of your life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm your everything. And this move, this sale for this rich young ruler, man, this just confirms that for Jesus. It's important to note as well that, that God is after a all-in gospel transformation. That's what Jesus is after, an all-in gospel transformation. And, and we see a picture of this here because he doesn't just say, well, I just need you to sell your possessions. I mean, that would be hard enough. He's not just saying, I just need you to kind of kill this, this uh, greed in your life. But he also says, I want you to give the proceeds to the poor. In other words, it's not just about killing the greed, but it's about me replacing that with a heart of generosity. It's a completely new way. It's, it's, it's radical. It's unattainable transformation. But how does that happen? Well, we need to choose Jesus. We need to go all in with Jesus. It takes faith. You see, it takes faith to look to Jesus and trust that he is the way that he is the way, that I can let go of the short-term idols in my life. I can trust the creator of the universe with the outcome of my life, with the plans of my life. It takes faith to see him as the greatest treasure and hold everything else loosely. And it's, I, I can't tell you how many times in my, in my own life, in my own heart that I've seen this or as I've had conversations with people where this fork in the road moment of going all in has kind of been exposed in, in people's heart. I think of when I speak to people when they're dating and they're going through difficulties during dating and they're saying, I think God could help my dating relationship. And uh, if I ever see them hurting one another, it's, it's more sense of, hey, why don't you guys take a break from one another? Why don't you even potentially break up and follow God wholeheartedly and trust him with this relationship? And often there would be a response that people say, no, 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 that's, that's not what God wants. We just need him to fix the one or two problems, but they don't see the greater problem of not going all in with their faith. 
numerous times and even in my own life have I had conversations like that or people have conversations with me about that. I think of, of people when they talk about having, making bad decisions and, and the hangovers of life and speaking to them and saying, I think possibly God could be after all of you, not just the small part of your, your life. Why not follow him wholeheartedly? Why not cut back on, uh, 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 some, uh, cut back on a bit of the, the drinking or, or the partying? Or why not not hang around with some of those people that are, are making you make bad decisions? For a time, why not follow him wholeheartedly? And often we'd get a response, or I would get a response saying, No, it's not about that. It's not about a complete change. I just need to fix the few little hangovers, the few little bad decisions or troubles that I'm facing. And often it's God calling us to say, Go all in, go all in, accept the full gospel transformation, the all in gospel transformation of our souls. And what we see is often people saying, well, I just need Jesus to be a solution to the small part of my life that that's not working, not Lord and Savior and the ultimate answer to the whole of my life, now and for eternity. And Jesus, Jesus was saying, man, you, you want to follow me? You want to follow me? I wanna, I'm going to call you to faith. How about willing to not have anything and, and let me decide how rich you will be one day. Why not maybe not date that person and leave your marital status up to me? How about not pursuing or yoking yourself to those dreams or plans of your life that cause anxiety and worry and a failure complex and let the outcome of your life be in my hands? He's saying to this rich young ruler that, I want you to see that if you have me and only me, you are truly rich. You are truly rich. I am the ultimate treasure. And whatever promises this world or your idols might promise you will never be the, uh, greater than the promise of eternal life with me. Never be greater than the promises I can give you. And we see after this conversation, Jesus goes on to, to warn his disciples about the dangers of the riches to the heart, where he says, he says, man, it will be easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And here Jesus is giving us a warning against riches and what money and the love of money can do to our souls. And again, Jesus is not saying that those who want salvation need to sell everything they have. That is the golden ticket. No, Jesus is not against us having nice things. Uh, he has an abundance. He's not insecure about the transactions of wealth on this earth. But Jesus is concerned for the condition of our souls. That's why we get the stark warning. It's because Jesus wants us to treasure him above everything else and especially money and wealth, which are dangerous things, dangerous idols for the soul. And the way I see it is the Bible uh, gives us kind of two forms of warnings. The, f the first is that we need to be careful of when riches might demand our love, where riches might demand our love and where the love of riches might rule our hearts. And, and what do I mean like, uh, by that? Well, firstly, there is a, a guarding against riches that would demand our love. And 
there's this reality that the comforts and the luxury of riches can form an anesthetic to our spiritual dependence on God. Riches and wealth, things can form a anesthetic to our spiritual dependence on God. And we see riches can woo and wrestle our hearts for God's place. Money has power. We need to be aware of that. And although in many respects with wealth, it can be a resource, it can be a blessing, we know that it can also in some ways be a curse. It can in many ways create great difficulties. In Time Magazine, there was this article where they interviewed a guy named Don McNay, uh, and he was this lottery winner consultant. And they asked him about the lives of, of lottery win, uh, winners. And he, he basically said that for most winners, he actually sees the lottery ruining their lives. And he ends, it ends up causing uh, depression, family conflict, suicide, uh, family members uh, 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 committing suicide, drug overdose, self-loathing. You see people just ending up hating who they become once they've received all that money. And uh, some would even say that they wish they had torn up the ticket. You see, riches have a way of pressing false promises on our heart. But not only that, it has a way of bringing more destruction, more curse to our lives. And uh, sometimes we can hope that it would be this replacement comforter to the savior and a savior to our souls instead of looking to Jesus, instead of looking to Jesus. There's this famous quote from a famous actor named Jim Carrey, who is, um, he has, he became really famous and he has loads of money. And something that he said is he says, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that the answer is not there, that the answer is not there. And another warning that we see in the Bible is against the love of money, against the love of money. And we've heard it said in the Bible that you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. And this is tough because it works itself, uh, it works itself out in different ways. But I think the one question that I would ask us is, do we desire to be rich? Do we desire to be rich? Do you desire to have wealth? Do we crave to have more and more one day. And I'm sure everyone has a little bit of this because, man, we, we also are called to work for an income, to build a life, to provide and contribute to our families. There, there can be a godly trajectory in the ambition of this, but, but is our ultimate goal to have a lot of money one day or to be considered wealthy does this desire steer our hearts and inform our lives? It is, is it the loudest voice? Well, there's a stark and very clear warning to us. If we look at, at 1 Timothy 6, and it's quite self-explanatory, this is what it says. It says, there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we, we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these... We'll be content, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Like I say, 
very self-explanatory. But the truth is you cannot love Jesus as your ultimate treasure if you love money more. You cannot love Jesus as your ultimate treasure if you love money more. It's impossible. The camel does not fit through the eye of the needle. And the way that I see this is in our lives, we are basically building an economy around us. This is uh, where we, when we're deciding where we might live, what opportunities we have and what we want to take advantage of um, with those opportunities, how we give generously, how we steward our money, the things we buy, possibly a car if we can afford that and uh, what, what car we would drive. And what, we can, what can happen is we can get caught trying to define the, the lines of modesty in our own world in order to justify our riches before God. We start to, um, defining the lines of modesty in our own lives so that if we just define it right, we can then justify our riches before God. And the problem is we're not necessarily changing our hearts but we're just managing the price list of our stuff. And I don't think that that's what God is after here. I think what God is after is he would say to us, does the economy of our lives reveal that God is the ultimate treasure of our lives? The way that we would give generously, that we would save prudently, that we would spend wisely. Does, does our hearts Loving God, making him the ultimate treasure, does that inform the way we live and does that inf influence the price list of our lives? And it can look different for different people. I mean, if we look at the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, his major change of heart came where he just gave half his possessions to the poor. And if our economy is governed by a heart that holds Christ as the true treasure, It's going to keep our souls intact. It's going to keep money and the love of money in its place. And for some, the sacrifice or the generosity is going to look different in different areas of our lives. I know people who have taken pay cuts um, at, at their jobs so that they would be allowed to be involved more in church or in different charities that they're part of. I think of some people who've said no to wealthy business deals because of Christ-like integrity. People who have said no to more money in order to have more time with family. Why? Because Christ is the ultimate treasure. Christ is the ultimate treasure. They want to do things according to his kingdom economy, not according to their earthly economy. You see, having, having less is, is not necessarily more godly. I mean, there's rich and there's poor people who, who could both despise God. But having a God-centered economy that allows us to love Jesus as our ultimate treasure, to love people well, that's what God is after. And I just want to say that the story of the rich young ruler We must remember that, that Jesus wasn't after this man's money. His, his goal, his ultimate goal was not that he would have no possessions. No, he, he lovingly wanted his whole heart and his followership. That's what he was after. Because he knows that it would be the best for him for now and eternity. So I, I want to leave us with a question. When we 
Let the way of Jesus cross examine our own hearts. Where does the real treasure of our hearts lie? When we, when we think of some of the things that Jesus might call us to sacrifice in order to follow him wholeheartedly, what are some of the things that might rise to the surface? And then for some of us, what would it look like to go all in with Jesus? What would it look like to go all in with Jesus, to have faith that Jesus is more precious than anything, to have faith that he is enough? Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you that we are able to gather today. I thank you that you would speak directly to our hearts. Lord, I pray that um, as there are some things in our lives that might rise to the surface that you might bring forward, I pray, Lord, that we would see you as our ultimate treasure, that we would hold these things lightly in our lives, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that we wouldn't uh, just look to our earthly plans, our earthly uh, riches, our earthly circumstances as our Savior, that we would look to you as our ultimate Savior. Lord, I pray that you would reorientate our hearts to make you our true treasure. Would you come and do this in Jesus' name? Amen.